0: How are you? Where are you? God, I'm literally in my mom's closet. I'm stress-eating in here. I'm stress-drinking chai tea and stress-eating.
1: I don't think I've ever heard the words (laughs) stress-drinking chai tea, but (laughs) that sounds like the healthiest binge drinking I've ever heard of. You're like our covert wedding correspondent on the show today, because you are actually at a wedding, correct? (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah, so you know how my sister, I have two sisters, and one of them is getting married this weekend.
1: Welcome back to Divided States of Women. I'm Liz Plank, and you just heard my co-host, Heather Herzog, calling me from her sister's wedding. Today, we're going to talk about marriage and what it means for women in 2017. We're going to talk about the pressure that we put on women to put a ring on it or not put a ring on it and how all of that is escalated by the glare of social media. To kick things off, we're going back into that closet. What's going on?
0: I don't remember being this crazy at my wedding. I mean, I remember thinking there was a lot of stuff going on and you know, there's a lot of moving parts. I think... Now in, in the days of social media or like you know, everything is like online, Pinterest, you've heard of like brides kind of having these like Pinterest weddings. Yes. So you go on Pinterest and there's these amazing pictures of crazy, you know, uh, setups and beautiful brides and dresses and everyone has these like little signs everywhere and they say, okay, I'm going to have that wedding.
1: But nothing looks like Pinterest. It's not a, a reality, right? Oh, no. And people have to understand, it, like your Instagram, it's a filtered way of looking
0: at things. But mm. I think the problem is that brides just look at that and say, you know what, if my wedding doesn't look like that, well, all hell is going to break loose. Hmm. So that is what is happening right now. Like a sign is off. So like everyone has a meltdown. I mean, it's just, it's getting to the point, Liz, you know, my mom is like super stoic and she is getting very upset. And it's wow. like, I've never seen this, anything like this before in my entire life. Oh my God. I think someone's coming. Hold on one second. <laughs> okay, good.
1: <laughs> Quarter was old. 70s clothes. Okay. So. Oh my um, God. I'm. I'm afraid. Like I'm. I'm afraid for you. I'm worried. <laughs> I'm getting texts about sangria, and they're not fun
0: texts. It's not like, hey, sangria down here. It's like, hey, do we really need champagne for the sangria? I'm like, yes,
1: yes. yeah, we do. Yes. <laughs> We'll check in with our wedding correspondent a little later in the show. But first, I want to talk about marriage in more of a broader societal context. I just finished reading a really great book called The H-Spot, The Feminist Pursuit of Happiness. And one of the most interesting chapters in the book, to me anyways, was the one about marriage. It highlighted so many questions that I... Personally, have as I'm sort of going through the world as a young feminist who just turned 30 and who's sort of thinking through all of these things. And so I talked to the author, one of my really good friends, Jill Filipovic. This culture of Bridezilla and the sort of, uh, you know, idea that you need to this big massive wedding and that everything has to be perfect and that you have to invest so much time and energy into it. That reflects this idea that I feel, as a progressive young woman, um, is antiquated. Like, the idea that my wedding day is the most important day of my life, I can't even say that without laughing. It feels like I'm joking. Marriage is just, I perceive it as so different, I think, than what previous generations sort of perceived it as. Do you see this in progressive women especially, this sort of resistance to marriage because it seems antiquated with the values that we hold?
2: Yeah, I I at least see a lot of kind of tension around marriage. Being somebody who's college educated and has a graduate degree and, you know, is now in my early 30s, um, I am seeing many of my friends kind of head in the direction of marriage, although most of my friends are not married yet, which is interesting. But yeah, I mean, I don't know that for any of them, no, none of us would say, my wedding is going to be the right. most important day of my life. Yeah. Um, I was actually just having a very funny conversation with a friend who got married a couple weeks ago who was talking about how many people have told her they're proud of her. Wow, And she was kind of like, "Ew," you know, she's a woman who put herself through college. Both of her parents are unfortunately deceased. Mm. Um, She paid her way through college. She worked, you know, she's amazing at her job. She is a super successful woman. And she said the number of people that were like, I'm so proud of you. And she was like, you can tell me you're happy for me. (laughs) Tell me you want to celebrate with me. But like, you're proud of what? Right. That I, like, just got lucky enough to meet somebody that I wanted to end up with and, like, mm-hmm. he put a ring on my finger? Right. Like, that's not
1: something to be proud of. Right. You know what's so funny? My sister is a single mom, and she often is told, you know, why aren't you—why don't you have a boyfriend? Like, how have you not—as if, you know—and and she compares it to, like, winning the lottery. Like— some people won the lottery they found the person and they're gonna stay together for a long amount of time and like but you don't actually have control over whether you find a partner and you are you know that lasts forever um, and so saying you're proud of someone somehow I think communicates that idea that like if you work hard enough or you do the right thing then you'll you'll be able to like get to that level right right exactly you
2: know and i think uh, the reality is for a lot of kind of highly ambitious and successful women dating sometimes feels like that and yeah. those are a lot of the messages we get right. is like you, you know, just work on yourself. If you only love yourself right, enough. First, right. And you love yourself first. Right. And if you just put yourself out there. Right. And if, you know, if you're not looking. Right. Like, like s- put yourself out there, but don't look. Right. Right,
1: <laughs> right. And, like, all people in relationships love themselves and are right, super right. It just stable right. just nothing's people. Ever, nothing's wrong. Nothing's wrong. <laughs> um, that's,
2: that's what happens. Um, of course, it feels good to feel like you can be in control over your, you know, romantic prospects. And sometimes you can. Look, if what you want to do is, like, get married as a vehicle to a a nuclear family and, like, the kind of setup that you want, Um, there are plenty of people who do that and for whom marriage is not necessarily an institution of great romance, but one of kind of mutual financial stability and investment in a family unit. Um, That's not, like, an unheard-of model of marriage, but I think for a lot of us, it seems, like, not not exactly
1: know what we want out of our marriages. Right, right. You talk about your own sort of journey uh, in the chapter about being a feminist and not wanting to see marriage as not prison, but like kind of, um, and then that shifting for you. Can you take us through that journey? Sure. Just getting right into the personal stuff, Yeah, (laughs) sorry. That's uh, the personal is political, okay? (laughs) Um, So-
2: Yeah, I was a person who never really saw myself getting married, both for sort of personal and political reasons. I mean, the sort of whole history of marriage for women has not been particularly positive. And, you know, the history of property rights in marriage and that marriage was very much based on kind of like a chattel law um, and that women in getting married— Historically have seeded pretty much their entire identities and life trajectories. And sure, that is not the way that marriage functions today in the United States. But I had seen very anecdotally um, this kind of anxiety around marriage, that women seem to hit a certain age, about the age I am now, I'm 33, (laughs) (laughs) and some a little bit younger, and feeling like if they hadn't married, then they were somehow failing to achieve Uh, some sort of important life transition into adulthood. And so I saw a lot of women that I knew who seemed to be sort of settling um, or finding this to be a real point of stress. How do you know someone's settling? Because they would say it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, like this.
1: <laughs> so, you know, because... Because it, it's, you know, yeah,
2: I, I think clear. women have these conversations right. among ourselves, right? I mean, nobody right. says, like, oh, I'm settling for my husband. But, right. you know, all of which is to say I sort of saw all of this happening in real time and made a decision that I just kind of wanted to take myself out of it. That it wasn't it wasn't something that I wanted to guide my life or to be a goal. Um And then, as sometimes happens to the extraordinarily lucky among us, (laughs) um, very randomly met somebody who does happen to be all kinds of amazing, um, which was unexpected. And, you know, had sort of seen myself as somebody who would have a series of relationships and, you know, obviously dated men who were brilliant and kind and wonderful people, but nobody that I felt such an intense connection to. And so I felt that with him. Um, and a couple, maybe about a year into the relationship, the kind of marriage question came up and my initial reaction was, no, I don't Mm -hmm. think we, (laughs) I don't know that this is something that I want, but it really made me start to interrogate what do I think marriage is and what does it mean and what does it mean for women? And we were having these conversations at the same time I was writing this book. Um, so a lot of it, I was kind of processing in real time, uh, in the marriage chapter and was both kind of looking at, The history of how marriage has really shifted and how I do think feminism has been pretty great for marriage um, and how kinds of norms of egalitarianism have actually ended up making people in at least more egalitarian marriages much happier, helps them live longer, um, they're physically healthier. Uh, it It has a whole slew of benefits.
1: And are those benefits extended to women and men? (laughs) <laughs> that's actually, marriage is better for men than for women. <laughs> yeah, that's my next question. Does getting married really make women happy? Because there's all of this data um, that shows that there is a benefit to men, but that benefit is smaller for women or inexistent for women. Um, there's research from London School of Economics from the University College of London that shows that single women do not suffer the same negative health effects as unmarried men. Um, and there's a penalty for women who have children. I mean, obviously, marriage and children are not necessarily... Uh, always connected, but you know, this model of I get married and I have children, there's a lot of uh, penalties for women uh, who are married and who have children in the workplace. The gender gap right now is larger between mothers and non-mothers as as, as it is between men and women. And so my question, and something that I struggle with is like, does this model even um, make sense for me? Does it make sense for the modern woman?
2: Yeah, and I think for a lot of us, it it doesn't and I think you're seeing that reflected in women's choices. you know if current patterns hold a quarter of millennials will never get married. And you're right, marriage does have outsized benefits for men. It really for women, it depends much more on the man that you marry, which is you know it's a sort of a Cheryl Sandbergism. Um, but for those of us who do get married, Having a husband who is like a very miserable person will really, really tank a wife's happiness. Whereas the reverse, having a wife who's, you know, somewhat miserable
1: (laughs) doesn't have nearly as large an impact. I I was so surprised when I read that in your book. Why do you think that is?
2: Well, I mean, I so this is not from the research. I would guess that... Men who are very unhappy, um, sometimes that manifests itself physically, right, Right. Um, in violent relationships or in emotionally abusive relationships. Mm. Um, And women obviously bear a brunt of that in a way that men don't tend to. Right. Um, You know, men also... Uh, still are disproportionately the breadwinners in American families. Um, and so if you know you have a husband who is depressed and is unable to work right. and then sees his kind of sense of himself and his identity uh, compromised by that inability to provide, um, that has downstream both kind of emotional impacts on the family but also significant financial impacts, which obviously will will make you pretty unhappy.
1: right. And and is so what's the reason for getting married for women? Well like, like. I it's right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if, if right, uh, to your point, marriage was invented, I mean, it was a social contract. Women were literal property. <laughs> like, it's so archaic, um, you know, Sort of, and, and it's so, you know, not why people get married today. Um, and then women don't need marriage in, in, in the way that they needed it even 10 or 20 years ago because um, they needed a husband to have a credit card. They needed a husband to submit, you know, the provider. And now, you know, women who, young women who, are unmarried and who are in urban centers, you know, you have all of these, you know, mostly uh, middle class women are making the same thing as uh, or making a similar salary to the men who are similarly educated as them. Why would they get married? It's a great question. Is it just like for the love? Like, is that the reason to? <laughs> yeah, I mean, so there's,
2: there's a couple of reasons. Um, I mean, one is that kind of, for better or worse, marriage remains uh, a very important organizing institution in American society. And in my ideal world, we would have many other organizing institutions on top of marriage, um, but we don't. That is kind of the one that we have in order that you can use to make somebody who you have a romantic or other attachment to a member of your family um, and enter into what a lawyer friend of mine calls a mutual financial suicide pact, Um, which which is kind of what marriage is. Um, I don't think that's necessarily – a bad thing. And when I was thinking about my own impending marriage, the the point that was very appealing to me was the idea of getting to make someone my family and what that meant for the long the longevity of the relationship. So right. I think about and I use this example in the book, my sister, who I love very much and at certain points in my life has been my best friend and at other points in my life has been somebody who I just didn't communicate with very much. And if she had been just someone who I'd known and was just a friend, we probably wouldn't know each other anymore. But she's my sister, so I get to keep her. (laughs) (laughs) And I think our relationship is stronger and deeper and more complicated in the best of ways because we do share that kinship bond. And the idea of getting to... Pick a person to create that really unique relationship with, and it, gets, it getting to be this particular person um, felt both totally terrifying and also really appealing and like a significant challenge and adventure. Mm. Um, so, that was for me why marriage made sense. And I think a lot of women do have, do kind of make that same calculus from a more practical perspective. Marriage does give women a slight boost in happiness and health and longevity. Um, not as much as men get, as is everything, <laughs> <laughs> That's right? Um, but it does it does help, um, and it contributes to financial stability, especially right. if you have kids.
1: You want to look good in your underwear and be comfortable, right in You know it, but that perfect balance is hard to find. The perfect sacri- balance of what? Uh, both cheeks both cheeks and and style and comfort
3: oh the much more important actually
1: yes yes it's not like one cheek gets the style one cheek gets the comfort (laughs) they both get both
3: with me undies they are equally (laughs) distributed exactly i love it
1: i love it too so me undies will be the most comfortable pair of underwear you will ever own it's made from sustainably sourced
3: naturally soft fabric super breathable
1: you don't want your underwear not to breathe
3: MeUndies has tons of different colors and styles to fit whatever your preference is. Boy short, bikini, thong, something for everyone. Thongs aren't for Liz, but but everyone else. no, ban thong, like cancel thongs. For the rest of you, once you feel MeUndies for yourself, you're gonna love them. MeUndies guarantees you will love your draws or your money back.
1: And to get 20% off, our listeners um, can go on meundies.com slash divided. Divided is our code.
3: Liz, yes, <laughs> have you still been on the hunt for great talent for the Divided States of Women franchise that is about to have a Ooh. TV show to go Ooh. along with this podcast? Yes.
1: We need so many amazing women.
3: You have a lot of other stuff to do, so you don't want to be going through a huge stack of resumes. Mm-hmm. So I have an idea for you. Ooh. Zip recruiter. Ha. With ZipRecruiter, you can post your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards with just a click. It puts its smart matching technology to work, actively notifying qualified candidates about your job right away so you get the best possible matches, unlike the dating sites that you might have been using.
1: Unlike dating apps,
3: ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on the right candidates finding you. It finds them. That's why 80% of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site in just one day. One how day? often do you hear of that happening on Tinder? Uh, never. <laughs> never. It always takes. The quality a... is the key part that you don't hear about. Yes. You hear about the one day, one hour maybe. Right. And that then it's always quality.
1: <laughs> That's how fast you find
3: them. The easy to use ZipRecruiter dashboard lets you manage your hiring process from start to finish, all in one place. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Find
1: out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by growing businesses of all sizes and industries to find the most qualified job candidates with immediate results. And right now, the listeners of this podcast have a code that they can use so that they can use ZipRecruiter for free. That's right. It's free. Go to ZipRecruiter.com
3: divided. That's ZipRecruiter.com divided.
1: You start your chapter by talking about a same-sex couple. Um, What is opening up the institution of marriage um, sort of taught us about marriage?
2: Yeah, it's huge. It's crucial. Um, I mean, not only is it, like, the fair and right thing to do to 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 let people marry, you know, whichever kind of consenting adult they would like to marry, um, but it really breaks down the sort of entire historical justification uh, for marriage, which was that you had these two complementary roles. and so in the U.S. and in Western Europe as well, you know, with the kind of advent of uh, industrialization, you did have this really clear divide that happened in the nuclear family where you had a father who would leave the home, go to the factory or the office or whatever, and was kind of the public face of the family. Um, and the wife was supposed to, and these are in white middle class families, was supposed to stay home and be the kind of angel in the household and the home's moral center and the person who guided the family. Um This was the justification for why women couldn't vote because the husband was the public and political representation of the family and the woman was supposed to guide from the inside. Um, And, you know, even among uh, families that weren't white and middle class, so among African-American families, um, you obviously had both parents who would work outside of the home, but women would often work in the homes of other people, right, as domestic laborers. Mm -hmm. So you did have this real kind of sense that a marriage is about two— complementary but distinct entities and that's the only way that this institution is going to work Mm. well i think what we're seeing now and i think same-sex marriage has been you know a a huge factor in breaking down these stereotypes um, is that you don't have to have kind of this like Opposite complementarianism, right? Mm. You can have two people who are women, and that doesn't mean that like one is the breadwinner and one is the, <laughs> the right. you know domestic worker. Um, that marriage can be very much more about love and romance, and that is the sort of move that we've seen has been away from an economic unit and more into right. kind of a romantic and social one, um, and that that can actually be really functional. Mm. So, uh, you know. We hear a lot about how high the divorce rate is and that, you know, feminism has, like, broken up marriage. The divorce rate is the lowest it's been in, like, 35 years. Um, and part of that right. is because people that are getting married now do tend to be concentrated more in the educated and upper classes. Um, and so you have marriages that are much more egalitarian. Mm. Um and those and people that are getting married later right. and are both bringing in some uh, money to the relationship and are right. both doing some childcare. And those marriages tend to be happier and last longer. Mm. Um, the downside of that, of course, is that those benefits of marriage have not been equally distributed, especially across um, socioeconomic classes. What do you mean by that? So you see uh, fewer and fewer marriages in the working class. Um, huh. And among the poor in the US. Hmm. And there's a few reasons for that. I mean, one of those reasons is that because marriage is now seen as kind of a capstone of accomplishment as opposed to the kind of entrance into adult life. So right. you get married after you have a Economic house stability and, and stability right. and all of that stuff. And if you're working class, that stuff may never come. Hmm. Um, And so you're kind of postponing marriage indefinitely. Um, Mm -hmm. That's one reason I think that you're seeing a decline. A second reason is that a lot of women, I think, are looking at the men in their communities and aren't necessarily seeing them as marriage material. Hmm. Um, In communities where there's high rates of incarceration, that impacts your job prospects for the rest of your life. And so I think a lot of women look at those men and basically say, this is going to handicap me and my family. Right. And are instead having children without being married Mm. Um, and creating kind of just new networks and new support systems. And I actually don't think that's a bad thing, Um, but it it is a different thing. And I think it makes people a bit nervous. Mm. Um, Yeah, and then, you know, I I think you're also seeing an unfortunate dynamic where – Marriage has, and marriage has become very much about kind of consumerism and weddings. Yeah. And a lot of folks who say the reason they aren't getting married is because they feel like they can't afford it. Not just they can't afford to be married, but they can't afford the wedding that they want to showcase their hmm. marriage. Um, so there's kind of a lot of different competing factors here, which are making marriage increasingly less common for people at the kind of lower end of the socioeconomic spectrum. Right.
1: Well, so one thing I'm curious about, do you think that we hang, women hang out with women who have a similar view of marriage? There, is, there are many ways to approach marriage, but it does seem like it falls in two categories, which is one of them, you're like super into it and the big wedding and the big thing and this person is your everything and you're like posting, you know, Instagrams of I don't know what, arts and crafts on Saturdays, or you are not interested in in, in sort of, or if you do get married, you're going to do a small little wedding, like you're not going to get, you know, do you think that that sort of divides women? I actually don't think so. I think that we influence each other.
2: And I think obviously the ways that we think about the world and move through the world and talk about relationships and love and marriage um, shape the way that our friends think. And they shape the way that we think, of Mm. course. But, I mean, just, again, this is, like, purely anecdotal. I guess I wouldn't say that I have any friends who are like, marriage is the most important day of my life and I'm going to have a, you know— I'm going to spend $100,000 on my, like, massive wedding because it was my college money, but, like, I'd rather do this. I mean, I don't know right. anyone who thinks like that. Um, but I do have plenty of friends who I do think feel very anxious about not being married mm. or for whom, you know, their wedding was a big day that they were willing to invest a lot of resources and time and effort in. Um And then I have friends who, you know, are kind of like, I don't really care if I ever get married or not, Um, you know, or like I'll have a potluck in the backyard uh, or maybe I'll never do this. You know, I have friends who are single moms who like don't see that as part of their path. Um, So I think there is a lot of diversity. And, yes, of course, like we, I think, all shape each other. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think marriage is one of those areas that does kind of hold such deep cultural meaning for so many of us that – We all come to it, I think, from slightly different angles, right? And if, you know, we're raised in families who are religious or who have particular kind of cultural ethnic backgrounds where marriage means something slightly different, that's kind of all thrown into the mix. Mm. Um, So I at least appreciate that I have sort of a group of friends who have very uh, widely differing views on, A, how much they want to get married, Mm. and then, B, how much, like, marriage and a wedding, which I guess are two overlapping but distinct things, how much of their kind of time, effort, and uh, resources should go into that.
1: Right. Thank you so much, Jill. Yeah, thank you so much so for having me, Liz. Thank you. Okay, so I feel like I need to process some of this with Hetha, so, so I'm going to call her up. I, I think she's still in that closet at, at her mom's house in New Mexico, so the sound will be amazing. I was talking to Jill Filipovic about marriage. And she brought up really interesting data um, showing that men get far more benefits from marriage than women do. Why don't you think that men then are told to aspire to marriage in the way that women are aspired to marriage?
0: In general, I think that there is this vibe of, well, once you're married, you got to take care of your man. I don't know if that comes from our grandmothers. In fact, actually, my grandmother. Almost direct quote said that to me. Wow. Once you are married, make sure you take care of your husband. My mom is a single mom. You know, she raised us, all three girls, by herself. You know, was divorced when I was young and, and is extremely successful. Like, she's mm-hmm. literally, like, Indian Gloria Steinem. She is, like, uh, amazing. But even she is always siding with Seth. Like, if there's ever an issue, it is my fault. It is not his fault. Oh, Her basic theory is that, like, don't upset him don't upset him because you want a good marriage.
1: Wow. And so you think that you can be, do you think that you can be a feminist and believe in very traditional sort of relationship and marriage roles that are, you know, reflective of what the roles were in the 1950s? It's
0: happening. I mean, yes. I mean, that's that's
1: an interesting question.
0: So, I mean, we talk about this a lot. Like, I consider myself a feminist. I mean, I definitely consider you a feminist. I think we consider both of each other like power women feminists that are doing it and like serving as good role models for our younger counterparts and like really being an advocate of that. But my marriage is really rooted in 1950s values where Seth is always right and I cook for him and his needs often come before mine and I'm not saying he doesn't take care of me in his own way too I mean he does stuff around the house and like if I you know have a project going on like he'll make you know like we, we help each other in career and in life um you know but really for me and in this marriage his needs come first always
1: and there's no conflict around that because like you say he does things but like you're providing like you're making money doing this podcast right now you are making money like out there in the world and you're bringing money into the right. the, the marriage right and so right, is, it, totally. is it is there a conflict there in, inherently for you that you are advocating for women to you know put their needs first in uh, the way that they carry themselves in the world and ask for what they want and know what they deserve and then in your marriage you're not doing that
0: well maybe there's a financial feminism and then there's sort of a personal feminism. I don't know. Um, you know, we can kind of b- ruminate over that, but mm. you're right. I think it's really important for women to be financially independent. Like, cause who knows what's going to happen? Oh like, God, I totally. mean, I want, I want to make sure, you know, I, I I'm you know, I'm knocking on wood right now in this like weird closet I'm in, but um you know, if <laughs> nothing happens to stuff and we'd stay married, you know, for the next fifty years and we have a great old, you know, we grow a leather life together, but you never know what's gonna happen in life. So financial independence is really important. However, in my marriage like this is what works for us when one of us like is focused upon and that one of us is him and I make sure that like his stuff is taken care of. But again, I don't want to make it seem like I get home and I'm like a slave to the kitchen and like I, I basically am. No. <laughs> I'm like just thought about it. I'm like, oh, yeah, you know what? I'm kind of cooking a lot. So, no, but
1: it sounds like it. Yeah, it does. It, yeah. it's. <laughs> um. So, what's your advice for your sister in her marriage? Oh, that's a good Would question. Would you recommend that she do the same thing that you do? Would you recommend she do it differently? So,.
0: My sister and I are very, very, very different. She's a military spouse. So basically, if her husband gets moved, she has to move. So right there, it's going to be hard for her to be like, you know, just concentrate on my stuff, you know?
1: Right. I mean, I also think that relationships are more complicated than a decision about where you live or who cooks the food or who cleans. Like, right. there are so many ways that we are there for each other in ways that are outside of the scope of, like, the traditional boundaries that we've laid out for for how couples function um i think that you you know in a relationship one person could move across the world for the other person yeah. but the other you know person um is there emotionally for their partner in a way that you know the other partner can't even begin to do you know what i mean like there's just like oh. so many ways to sort of reciprocate that totally. sort of Seth handles my family
0: like a mofo champ. Like, he's coming here a little later, and um, he's just, like, a, a champ. Like, he is a diffuser of all of that. He Any sort mm-hmm. of drama that I'm, I'm experiencing now, once he gets here, it will be diffused. He's just,
3: it's right. amazing.
0: I don't know how he does that. Um, so, you're right. Like, while, you know, maybe, like, a cooking for him and, like, in this traditional role, like, He comes in and swoops in 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 things that I never even thought that I needed. It's to your point, like things shift in ways that you don't even anticipate,
1: you know? Right. I'm excited for you to see Seth and I love you. I love you, babe. Okay, so that seems like a good place to wrap up the show this week. Assuming that Heatha survives this wedding, uh, she will be back in studio next week. And until then, please do us a favor. It's really small and it means a lot. Tell your friends, tell your pals, tell your family, tell your mom, tell your dog walker, tell your, you know, Bumble dates uh, to subscribe and listen to the show. It really, really helps us spread the word. And we are trying to build a community full of awesome uh, women and men who love them. And so uh, please um, actually tweet me uh, your ideas for future shows or awesome women that we should have on the show. Uh, my Twitter handle is Feminist fabulous, And um, I'm really, really looking forward to hearing from you. Thank you so much for tuning in.
3: Divided States of Women is executive produced by David Goodman, Heatha Herzog, me, Nishat Karwa, and Liz Plank, who's the creator of the show.